I turn in the word today to Matthew's gospel in chapter 17 and here we will take some time to consider the scriptures Matthew 17 and after six days Jesus taketh Peter James and John his brother and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light and behold there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him then answered Peter and said unto Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if thou wilt let us make here three tabernacles one for thee one for Moses and one for Elias while he yet spake behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold a voice out of the cloud which said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him and when the disciples heard it they fell on their face and were sore afraid and Jesus came and touched them and said arise and be not afraid and when they had lifted up their eyes they saw no man save Jesus only and as they came down from the mountain Jesus charged them saying tell the vision to no man until the son of man be risen again from the dead and his disciples asked him saying why then say the scribes that Elias must first come and Jesus answered and said unto them Elias truly shall first come and restore all things but I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. Amen. Just another reading from Mark's Gospel in chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. In verse 2 we'll read from, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his, his raiment became shining, exceeding white to snow, as so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias and with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they looked around about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only, with themselves. And then one more time, this time in Luke's Gospel, and chapter 9, and this time it is verse 29. Luke 9 and verse 29. In fact, we'll go from verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in, his, in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. 
And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. When the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Amen. So we have here then the story of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. The transfiguration uh, is showing really a, a, a kind of a morphing would be the word I suppose we would use in this day and age uh, of one into something which looks different. Of course, the Lord Jesus didn't look different in, in his face uh, or in his body, except that his face shone so much it was like the light. They describe it in different ways, as we will see in just a moment. Uh, and his garments uh, also shone, so he, he had a glory about him, the kind of glory, I suppose, which we expect of God, uh, the Shekinah glory of the Old Testament, where uh, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And we kind of think of glory as being like the glory of the sun. It's, of course, used here, isn't it? Um, that it was like the sun, his face shone as the sun. That's the kind of glory we expect. And yet there are other kinds of glory also in the scripture. In John's gospel in chapter 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine, it says this was the first miracle which he did and showed his glory. So the power of Jesus Christ, the power of God, and this light of God, these two things both show the glory of God. But I would suggest to you that the other thing also which shows the glory of God is his word. Because on all three occasions where this, this uh, time of Jesus' life and the life of Peter, James and John, uh, three times in all three, these three Gospels, it tells us that God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear him, or hear ye him, the word of God also shows forth the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of God. So we come, of course, to the word today and we seek to see that glory. Uh, everybody, I suppose, uh, even those who don't believe in God, would say to us, well, if there is a God, then show us the glory of God. And as a Christian, uh, surely we would desire to see the glory of God. Even Moses when we consider, uh, as he, was, he had seen so many of the miracles of God, just like that first miracle at Cana, he had seen the ten plagues come upon Egypt, he had seen God lead them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, he had come to the sea and held out his rod over the sea and seen the sea part. These are miracles unparalleled in, in the history of the world. And Moses saw all of these things, but Moses still said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. And God said to him, well, I will hide you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by. And you shall not see my face, for no man shall see me and live, but you will see me, see my back as I go past. But Moses decided to see his glory. 
The wonderful thing is, of course, if you're a Christian, you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour. One day you will see the glory of Christ because John tells us that we shall see him as he is. That would be a wonderful day. But in the meantime, the glory of God is revealed in the scriptures and we seek to find it there. So I want to consider here, first of all, the glory that was manifested. The glory that was manifested. The transfiguration. It was a testimony of light. Remember the first thing which God did after he created all the elements of the, of the, the earth and the heavens. The first thing he said was, let there be light. I remember uh, writing once, we had a question when I was in college, uh, and the question was about the creation and I, I remember thinking how similar creation is to the new creation. That the first thing that we need to be saved is the first thing which God commanded to be upon the earth. And that is, let there be light. Let there be light. The sun and the moon weren't created until the fourth day, but the light came first. We desire and we need to see the light of God. God shows us the light. And in this transfiguration, we have a testimony of the light. First of all, we read here in, um, in Matthew's gospel that he was transfigured before him and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. That's the way that Matthew describes these things. Now, Matthew, of course, wasn't there. So Matthew is hearing this either from Peter, James or John and I would suggest it must have been Peter James or John because when Jesus came down the mountain with them he said to them don't tell anything that was done in that mountain until after I am risen from the dead so Jesus obviously wasn't going to tell the rest of the disciples he had selected three of the disciples to go with him and they beheld his glory and then we find in the New Testament, of course, James was killed uh, very early on in the sending forth of the gospel into all the world. But both Peter and John both make references to the glory of God that they saw. So here is his face shining as the sun, his raiment as white as the light. Mark says his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. We know that snow uh, can be so white, we have something which is termed snow blindness, uh, where people uh, can't see because the sun's shining off the snow. And when you see uh, skiers uh, going down the mountain, very often, if not always, they will have sunglasses on. And you think, well, why would you wear sunglasses uh, where it's so cold? But they wear sunglasses, of course, because of the glare of the snow. And so Mark describes it in this way. And it's reckoned that Mark's gospel is an account which Peter gave. There are lots of little clues throughout Mark's gospel to say that this was um, the account of Peter, which Mark writes down. But then also, Luke's gospel, we read, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. Glistering. Well, the word glistering uh, means flashing like lightning. Flashing like lightning. And again, lightning is so bright, it lights up the whole sky, and yet it's just a streak which comes through, or as a sheet which goes from cloud to cloud. And so these are the thoughts which are used. All of these represent a light so bright that it's very hard to look upon. 
Now, the Lord Jesus of Christ, of Christ, of course, is the light of the world. We've already said that both Peter and John make mention of this time that they spent with Jesus. And this is indeed after the resurrection of Christ, so they did as they were told. In John, 1 John, in the epistle of John, and chapter 1 and verses 1 to 5, John begins this epistle, this letter that he writes to the churches, a general epistle it's called, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, note these words, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And in the first chapter of uh, we have chapters of course in the first part of john's gospel also he says and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and he also says concerning uh, that in john's gospel uh, that in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not So we see the Lord Jesus Christ manifested in their presence the light of the world. And when we come across Christ, when Christ manifests himself to us, we see the light. We have an understanding of something which God would have us to to comprehend and to know. And that will be the gospel. Uh, The fact, first of all, that the light shows up the darkness which is in our hearts. Again, in John's gospel in the third chapter... There's that famous verse, of course, in John chapter 3, that God so loved the world uh, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But it tells us also there in the uh, the 19th verse, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they can be seen, that they are wrought of God. We wonder why churches are empty in these days, and there are so few, it seems, who go to churches, and many churches, the atheists rejoice that so many churches are closing down, but many churches are closing down because there were so many of them. Uh, we had uh, three, four, five, sometimes six or seven, even in some of the, the small villages of the country, because everybody went to church, it seemed, uh, in, in the uh, 19th century. And slowly, of course, uh, things have happened. The war uh, had a great effect, a bit like COVID has had on, upon us in these days, and the people stopped going. And, of course, the men were sent off to battle, and so they didn't go, and their families um, were spread all over the place. Children were sent off to different places, and it, it, was a, uh, it, it really shook up the whole of the country. But, of course, in these days, we find that men love darkness 
rather than light because their days their, because their deeds are evil they that do the good they that do the truth they come to the light that their deeds may be made manifest christ is the light of the world it's represented here before these three men as he shines before them we have here also the testimony of the prophets moses and elijah stand with him moses and elijah represent something to us moses is always spoken of as being the representative of the law which god gave to him significantly in the mount that moses was in the mount and god gave him the ten commandments there which he took down to the people and found that they already had turned to idolatry the ten commandments were broken and they were literally broken at the same time as moses uh, cast them down out of his hands then god added to those ten commandments and we find all of the law then of the old testament not just the law which was contained in the Ten Commandments, but all of those extra laws which were given in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy where it's repeated and all those things which people complain about in these days. God gave those laws because man couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments. And he, so he showed them, well, in that case, I will give you all of these laws. But he didn't just leave the people with the laws, but he also gave them the way of salvation. The way of salvation was for them the sacrificial system you see we think about the law as being all all those restrictions which are put upon people that we can't do this and we can't do that but the law of god also included the way of salvation that they could come and bring their sacrifices before god and what does a sacrifice do well we read in hebrews that the blood of bulls and of goats can never take away sin so what was it it was representative of something it was representative of the death of Christ, but it was representative also of the grace of God. There was no reason why God should give them a way to be forgiven. He could just as easy have said, well, this is the law. If you keep it, you can come to heaven. But if you don't keep it, then you cannot be with me. But God didn't leave it there. He gave them the opportunity of salvation. And he said, I will accept these things at your hand as you having a repentant heart because you are bringing them of course the, the the heart of man is so corrupt that they began to just bring them because well that's what you do isn't it they didn't have repentant hearts at all and god in isaiah says that he despised their their uh, special days and their sacrifices because it was just the sacrifices what what was the point of that because the animals didn't take away sin it was God's grace. It was God's kindness toward them that accepted them. But without a repentant heart, God would not forgive them. And so we see the testimony of the prophets here. First of all, Moses with the law. And then Elijah also, who st stood upon it. Uh, Elijah represents the prophets. It's interesting, really, because although Elijah was certainly a prophet... He didn't really prophesy much concerning the things like Isaiah did of the days of Jesus Christ. But he did prophesy in his day. But what was it that he, he stood for? It was for God. He stood for God. And remember when he went up again into the mountain. And he went up there with the, with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves. And they had that great contest which 
is known of so many, even who don't know the Bible. And when they uh, made that test by fire and he offered the offering, covered it in water, prayed to God, and God sent the fire from heaven, consumed the offering, consumed the water that was in the trench around about it. He stood for God. So we have Moses who gives the law of God. We have Elijah who stands by God. And he, they both come together and they are speaking with Christ. And we read there in, uh, in Luke's gospel that they spoke to him about his death and about his resurrection. They were looking forward. And Jesus speaks to his disciples as they come down. And he says, don't tell anybody about these things until I am risen from the dead. With testimony of, the, of Moses and of Elijah. Then there's a testimony of the Father, of course. The Father in heaven speaks from the cloud and says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. So the testimony of God, first of all, is concerning the identity of Christ. He says, This is my beloved Son. This is not just a prophet. This is not just Moses. This is not just Elijah. This is my son. And in my son I am well pleased. Now when we consider Moses, first of all, Moses was forbidden to go into the promised land because he had sinned against God and he had struck the rock twice and God told him to speak to the rock. So Moses had sinned against God and because of it he was judged and could not enter into the promised land with the rest of the people. We find Elijah, as we read today, that Elijah also, when he heard that Jezebel was going to kill him, ran. After taking that tremendous stand and seeing fire come from heaven, he's afraid of this woman and those who, will be, uh, who, who are sent after him. It, it is a strange thing. But nevertheless, he too failed, and God says to him in the mount, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, of course, is translated, as it were, to heaven. But nevertheless, they both failed in one way or another. But God speaks of his son and he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased. It is possible for us to please God. Remember, Enoch had the testimony that he pleased God. Noah had the testimony that he pleased God. And we read of it in the New Testament about us. Uh, ourselves doing that which is pleasing in his sight but in Christ God is well pleased not just pleased with his life in this world but in his total and complete obedience and we see his pleasure then and then his declaration it is not Moses law it is not the servants prophecies but it is the word of Christ we need the word of Christ written in our hearts and we ask the question could we see this glory well jesus testimony and jesus prayer is that we should see his glory and we've mentioned this already this morning jesus says in john 17 as he prays to the father he says father i will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where i am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. He is, his prayer is that his people will be with him. 
Shall that thief upon the cross? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So all who follow Christ will be with him. But do we need to see his glory now? How, how could we see his glory now? Well, I have mentioned this and I just want to draw your attention back to it again. That the glory of Christ is found in the scriptures. Remember how that Jesus on the road to Emmaus shared Moses and the prophets and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then the New Testament, of course, it re- speaks con- continually about Christ. Here we see his glory. But are we looking for his glory? Do we desire to see the glory of Christ? Do we have the glory of Christ as our first consideration? So many, even those who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ, their first consideration is, what can I get out of this? How might I be blessed? How might my business be blessed? How might my decisions be blessed? How might my health be blessed? Where we are to come and to seek the glory of God. And perhaps there's a, there's a clue here in the fact that Elijah is mentioned as one of those who comes. I mean, you might expect Isaiah, for instance. Isaiah, who wrote so much concerning Christ, which is fulfilled in Christ's life. Why is it not Moses and Isaiah there? But Elijah... Elijah, who sought God's glory. And he says, I am the only one left. God says, well, you're not actually the only one left. I have 5,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. But he still felt as if he was the only one left. Here he marches in before the king. And he says to the king, it will not rain these days, except according to my word. Why? Because of the sin of the people. Because you don't recognize God. Because you don't love God. Because you're not following God. Because you have rejected God. I stand by my God. And you see, again, he was willing to give his life. At that point, anyway, he was afraid of the way that he might die if uh, Jezebel got hold of him. I wonder, in actual fact, whether... The problem that Elijah had was if if Jezebel kills me now after this, then everybody will say, oh, well, it was just, it it really didn't mean anything. And his real fear was that God's glory might be lost even then. But there wasn't an awful lot of faith in that, of course, because God takes care of his own glory. Can we see his glory? Let's seek it. Let's call upon the Lord and say Lord show me your glory when we open up the scriptures to read day by day let's open up the book and let's say to the Lord Lord show me your glory show me how I might glorify you and then let's read that we might see Jesus we see not yet the scripture says all things put under his feet but we see Jesus so here we have then the witnesses of his glory so there's not just because usually we think about this and we say well Moses and Elijah are there these two men who were who were with Christ in the mount but they weren't 
They only went with Christ in the mount. And perhaps we, we, miss, we lose that because we're kind of thinking that Peter, James and John were just observers. Moses and Elijah talk with Jesus about his death. But Peter, James and John also speak with Jesus as they are there in the mount. So we have these three men from the New Testament. Two of whom go on to speak of Jesus James, of course, we have no uh, reference of anything that he wrote. It was a different James who writes the book of James. But here we see again these three men who are with him, the witnesses of his glory. And who are these? Well, we've already seen that Moses failed God, wasn't allowed in the promised land. Elijah failed God because he was afraid of dying. And God says, what doest thou here, Elijah? And then he gives Elijah's power to Elisha. Elisha does the work. And Elijah is taken up to heaven. But what about Peter, James and John? Surely here we have righteous men. But isn't it Peter that denies the Lord? Isn't it Peter who says, I do not know the man. And then went out when the cock crew and wept. And what about John? John, one of those, James and John in fact, called the sons of thunder who uh, requested that they might sit on his right hand and on his left and I rebuked for that same thing. Were they perfect? Of course they weren't. In Acts 14 verse 15. We read these words. Sirs why do ye these things? People were bowing down to Paul there. And sirs why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you. And preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. Which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. And of course, directly connected here in James 5.17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You know, sometimes we might think to ourselves, well, I'm never going to see God's glory. I'm not Moses. I'm not Elijah. I'm not, I'm not Peter. I'm not John. I'm not James who lost his life was martyred for the name of Christ. I would never see God's glory in this world. And sometimes we might even be brought low as Elijah was and say, I'm not, we're not sure I'm even going to see God's glory in the world to come because I am such a sinner. But the scripture says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face. O Jacob, we are seeking to be sanctified. You were read together from Exodus chapter 19, and God said to Moses, go to the people, get them to wash their clothes, Get them to stand away from all the world and all the sin. Wash their hands. Be clean before me. Sanctify themselves. And God tells us also to sanctify ourselves. But that we should be, have clean hands and a pure heart. Well that is something which is gifted to us through Jesus Christ. But remember this. That these two men, Peter and John. Or three men, Peter, James and John. Although they were not perfect, Jesus said to them, come up with me into the mount. And 
Christ can say to us, God can say to you too, if you desire to be with me, then come up with me in the mount. Moses, forbidden to go into the promised land with the rest of the people, says to God, God, show me your glory. And God says, you may not see my face, but I will pass by you. And we might know the blessing of the Lord. Or that we might be witnesses of this glory and speak of it as these men did. The place of this transfiguration glory. First of all, we can say that the place of this glory was with Christ. We desire to see the glory of God, the glory of Christ. We need to be with Christ. Are we walking with him? Are you walking with Christ this day? You desire to see the glory of the Lord. We need to walk with him. We need to be in the word. We need to be spending time in prayer. We need to be separating ourselves as much as is possible from the things of this world which corrupt our minds. That we might have clean hands and a pure heart in the presence of the Lord. We need to be with Christ. But secondly, we need to be in the place of prayer. Luke is the one who records this. In verses 28 and 29 of Luke 9. It came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. We wonder whether every time Jesus went off alone to pray, whether that same thing occurred. Remember how Moses came down out of the mount. And it's referred to also in, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians rather. How that when he came down out of the mount, his face shone. And he had to wear a veil because the people couldn't look upon his face. He was in the presence of God. And here, these three men, how do they see his glory? They're in the place of prayer. They have gone, to, gone with Christ into the place of prayer. Into the secret place under the shadow of his wings. How much time do we spend in the presence of the Lord? Perhaps you pray every day. But there have been great revivals in time past. One not so very long ago, in 1904 in Wales, where a man separated himself from the world as much as it was possible and prayed, spent time in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, souls began to be saved in his own church and it began to spread throughout the whole of Wales. Tens of thousands of people came to Christ because of the time that he had spent in prayer. Because God honoured him. The 1859 revival in Northern Ireland was similar. Just three men who went into a little schoolhouse in Kells with an armful of peat to light the fire and prayed. And soon there was a fourth who came and joined with them. It's said that before they began to pray in this little schoolhouse, there was also a woman who was praying for revival. And God blessed them. The souls began to be saved in Kells. And it began to spread, went right through Northern Ireland. Thousands were saved. God is able to do mighty things. But in this day and age, we are so taken up with this world that we have little time 
to spend in the presence of Christ. Not all of the disciples were even there, just the three. And it was the same three which Christ took every time. The passionate ones, the sons of thunder and Peter. It was the place of prayer. It was also apart from the world. And it was apart from the disciples. The scripture says in Matthew 6, 6, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou shut the door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Does that mean we shouldn't pray together? Of course, the disciples after the resurrection of Christ went up into the upper room and they were together with one accord in one place and they prayed together. When Peter was uh, released from prison and came to the door and knocked on the door and uh, Rhoda didn't recognize him or, or did recognize him but didn't even open the door for him, where were they? They were there and they were praying. They were praying together. But you see, the real test of our hearts, surely, is how much time we spend in prayer on our own. When there's nobody there to impress, when there's no one there to say, oh, yes, that person comes to the prayer meeting, where it's just you and the Lord, how much time do we spend in that prayer? And then finally, the effect that the transfiguration had on the disciples. Well, first of all, we find their reverence of God. God spake to them out of the cloud. The disciples heard it. They fell on their face and were sore afraid. Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I persuade men to know the power, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. How important that is. It will humble us. Proverbs 9.10 and other places too. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding we need to know who god is not just that we might be afraid of him but that we might be impassioned to stand up to the world then also the effect was that it was jesus who raised them up in verse 7 here in matthew's gospel it says and jesus came and touched them and said arise and be not afraid those are wonderful words that christ would speak to us Say, arise and be not afraid. Be to be absolutely sure, to be absolutely confident that Christ is with us. And not to be fearful that sometimes he's not there. And perhaps the third, maybe the greatest of all, was they saw Jesus only. Verse 8, and when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And that's significant. Of course, Moses and Elijah were no longer there, and that's the way we would normally, just reading that, think that they were gone, so there was only Jesus there. But there were three men there, and yet every one of them, it says, they saw no man but Jesus only. So there is a significance in the fact that Christ was now central to their vision. They had been brought to look upon Jesus, not upon their friends, not upon their, the disciples that were with them, but on Jesus only. That is where we need to be, that we might see Jesus only and be his servants. We could say that Elijah was there at one point in his life as he goes into Ahab and prophesies to him. He saw no man but Jesus only. And then when he was up in the mount, 
when God appeared to him, or at least uh, was there in, with a still small voice, there was no one there but Elijah and Jesus only. All that we might know that blessing upon our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we commit ourselves to thee just now. We pray that we too might seek thee with a whole heart. Thou hast told us this, that if we seek you with all of our heart, we will find you. And Lord, we pray that we might break ourselves with your help from this world, that we might desire to know the Lord, that we might, know, that might have a desire to know thy power. Remember how Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Lord, that we might see Jesus. Bless our hearts, we pray thee. Minister to us. Draw us that we might hear your voice saying, follow me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.